Hey, you guys, just want to share an amazing opportunity with you. We have the five-day business accelerator challenge starting on March 23rd, 2022. Now, interestingly enough, two years ago, I launched a digital summit with zero experience. We managed to generate 2,147 leads, be on the front. I was on the front cover of a huge US magazine and able to generate over 50,000 pounds worth of new income in less than seven weeks from start to launch. Like I said, zero experience. And what we're going to be doing during this challenge is I'm going to share the secrets about how you can run your own summit. Now, I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like you're great at what you do, but you're also the best kept secret in the world? Well, that was me before I started running summits. Now, guess what? What you need is visibility, but the, but there are speaking events out there. There's podcasts out there. There's lives. There's YouTube. But the problem is, is that you're competing in such a competitive space, and it's easy to go unnoticed. What you need is huge visibility, uh, but you also need to create your own opportunities. And this is we're going to teach you. We're going to give you the framework about how you can go about doing that. Now, listen. None of the gurus are teaching you any of this. None of the big guys are teaching you any of this. This is this is a challenge that you are is going to be absolutely epic on so many levels. I'm going to be bringing in some of my friends who are some of, some of the best thought leaders in the world. We're going to be sharing with you how to build your vision, how to create your message, how to piggyback off of influencers' brands in order to build your own brand. I'm going to show you. I'm going to share you with you how to monetize and, and monetize all of this. And it's going to be absolutely epic. So for more information, click on the link below. Or what you can do is you can go to businessacceleratorchallenge.com. That's businessacceleratorchallenge.com and find out more information. But otherwise, I'll, fit, I'll see you on the challenge March 23rd, 2022. Take care. Bye-bye. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. Interestingly enough, I hope you guys can hear me okay. <laughs> well, listen, this is going to be a great show because I love doing these live shows. And what I'm really excited about today is we've been talking about a particularly interesting subject, which I have never in my life ever explored. And so today's conversation is going to be really interesting. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that um, envelops. So I want to introduce today's guest. And this particular gentleman, actually, he kind of circles in the same type of room that I love to uh, surround myself with. And, you know, what's really important is that, you know, you surround yourself with who you become. And so this particular gentleman, I know that we connected on LinkedIn, and that's the beauty about social media. We actually have a lot of mutual friends in the leadership space. And this is actually the one of the very first times that we get to have fun, number one, but have some great conversations about a particular topic, which I'm particularly fascinated about. So today's gentleman, his name is Todd Churches, and he is the co-founder and a CEO of an innovative New York City management and leadership consulting company. Now, he's also a three times award-winning ancient professor on leadership at New York University, and he's a lecturer at University of Columbia as well. He's a TEDx speaker, or a TEDx speaker in the past. He's part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches, which is absolutely fan a fantastic organization that Marshall's put together. And he's also, was also one of the eight finalists from last year's 2021 Leadership Awards, which was the Distinguished Achievement Award awarded by the Thinkers 50. So listen, it's going to be a great session. I'm hoping that you guys, uh, whether you're listening to us live, uh, whether you listen to the recording, I'm really looking forward to some of the conversations. Please do me a favor before we do get the uh, party started. If you are listening to us live, please do me a favor and just give us a, a like, share or the comment section, the comment section below. And we love hearing your comments. Anyway, without further ado, here we go. Mr. Todd Churches, how are you? Thank you, Adam. Great being here with you. It's, uh, it's, I'm really looking forward to some of our conversations. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and thank you very much for reaching out to me because I know 
I personally get a lot of people reach out to me and, um, and, you know, I don't know about you and, and you're probably exactly the same, you know, and I'm a big believer in energy. I'm a big believer in intuition as well. I get so many people invite, uh, you know, wanting to connect, but are, is it for the real reasons? And you were one of those people where I thought, do you know what? This guy sounds like a really cool guy. You're extremely credible in what you do and you're extremely, um, you've got credibility and the, and, and the know-how to back it up. So really, really looking forward to today's conversation. My pleasure. My pleasure. Glad, great. I love, I love what you do. You're high energy. You're changing the game. And uh, I love your, your background and, uh, and you're doing a lot of great stuff. So it's great talking to you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So listen, I wanted, I wanted to get into this because uh, I know that you're, uh, you've got, I mean, you've been in the background of leadership for, for quite a number of years, but I'd love to kind of get to know more about you because I know that this is kind of like really our kind of first conversation between mm -hmm. each other. How did you get into the world of leadership? I know that you took, I know that you've into lecturing and, and, and things like that, but I'd love to know more about how you discovered what you've discovered now. Yeah. I mean, what drove me into the leadership field is, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you know, I hold the Guinness Book of World Records for the for having worked for the worst managers who've ever set foot on this planet. So I don't know if you're aware of that. So uh, I, I challenge anyone to, uh, to, to defeat me in that category. But I started out in advertising in New York. Um, long, going back before that, um, I have a bachelor's. Most people think I have a, um, a business degree, but I actually majored in English literature with a concentration in Shakespeare and poetry. So I didn't know if I was going to teach. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I loved the language. I loved reading. Uh, I was a book a book addict. Um, but then my dream was to work in television in some capacity. So I worked in advertising in New York for Ogilvy & Mather, one of the top ad agencies. I did that for a year. Didn't love it. It was kind of a numbers job. I think if I was in more of a creative job, I would have liked it. But I ended up just getting in the media division and didn't i'm not a math guy and i was a lot of numbers crunching and my dream was to work in tv in some capacity so even though i'm an extreme introvert i talk fast and loud because i'm from new york but i'm an extreme introvert <laughs> i always say i'm a three b's kind of guy a behind the scenes back of the room bookworm by nature so anything i do is pushing myself out of my comfort zone but i decided to pack up and move to la uh, to go Hollywood and see if I could get a job in the TV industry. So I had no connections and no money and no leads. And I went out there, worked a lot of internships and part-time jobs. I even worked nights as a bouncer in a nightclub. That's something that a lot of people don't know about me. So I'm six foot four. And uh, I went in for a way to interview for a waiter job. And they're like, you're tall. Can you hold a clipboard uh, clipboard and, and check IDs at the door? I'm like, I guess so. So I did that. I, I figured I'd do it for a few months. And I ended up doing that at night for three years. And I had a great time doing it. And um, so th that was like my alter ego was working as a nightclub bouncer while I was working days at the st TV studios. But I worked for um, in casting at Columbia Pictures. I was in comedy at Disney and I was in drama at CBS. So working on developing TV shows. And then I was a project manager in the theme park business for a number of years. And the recurring theme throughout all of these jobs over 10 years was just, was just bad bosses, you know, bad management, no leadership. And um so, uh, so, so I'll stop right there. But that was uh, before I got into management leadership and executive coaching. That's the early part of my career. So I had an amazing experience, worked for some great companies, met a lot of celebrities, which was a lot of fun when you're in your 20s and 30s and single, just going to parties and tapings and screenings. Um, but then uh, I realized that industry was not for me. And I moved back to New York after 10 years in Los Angeles. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just by chance ended up with a job at a management training company helping to design their management training program. So they figured, oh, you were a manager, you could do this. But I didn't know anything about managing or leading. And that's where I started studying it and reading all these books and talking to all these management leadership trainers and coaches. And I was like, wow, this might be something I could do down the road. So I'll stop right there. But that's my that's my background bio in a nutshell. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I love a good, I love, I love a good background uh, bio. But it's interesting. You've had a You've had you've had you've had you've had a great story so far, so it's all good. But listen, I really want to get into the crux of today's conversation because you've made some interesting discoveries in the world of leadership. But I'd love to know more about your discovery around visual leadership because I really, when I think of the word lead, visual leadership, right? And here's an interesting part. Like for me, I love creating content, Todd. Right? Mm -hmm. But I love to create content from a visual and an audio perspective, right? Because that is how that's what gets me excited. Okay. So 
I guess this kind of applies to leadership, right? And that, and, and again, this is my perspective, just an initial perspective of what I thought a visual relation, uh, visual leadership is, is how to use kind of words, pictures, video, whatever it is to get your message across, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit more about it and, and, how, did, and, and how did you discover it? Sure. Well, coming with a background in literature and then working in television, one of the recurring themes of my life is story. Storytelling and metaphor and picturing things. And what leaders need to do is formulate a vision to have a picture in your mind's eye of a future state that's different from and better than the current reality. You have to communicate that vision in a clear and compelling way to get people on board with that vision. Otherwise, you're never, never going to turn that vision into reality. So um, the title of my book, I'll hold up for a second, is Visual Leadership. And it's spelled with one shared capital L, which a lot of people don't even know this because um, that's not what you expect to see. So that's what's interesting is like what and that's part of visual leadership too, what you see has a lot to do with what you expect to see. What you miss has a lot to do with the lens through which you see the world. So the idea behind visual leadership, if you look at the the color of the eye, it's a rainbow colored eye, and the rainbow colored eye on the cover of the book represents the fact that you have a unique perspective. No one in the world sees the world through the same lens that you do, right? Our backgrounds, our upbringing, our childhood, our education, our life experiences all shape what we see, how we see it, how we interpret things. So that's the backward-looking part of visual leadership. The forward-looking part has to do with vision. When we talk about leadership, we always think about visionary leaders. We always talk about having a leadership vision. So it's about seeing. Um, and um it's about looking backward and looking forward. Sometimes as a manager, we need to look through a microscope and look into the details. As a leader, we need to look through a telescope and look out into the future. Sometimes we look through a kaleidoscope to see all the colors of the rainbow and to look at things in a fresh new perspective with creativity. So uh, the, the, the recurring theme and the metaphor of looking and seeing is central to the concept of visual leadership. And I break it down to four different categories, but I'll stop there for a second just to let you and, and listeners to kind of absorb what I'm talking about so far. You know, it's interesting. Um, what was really interesting about what you were saying there, because we, we've obviously got a very good friend, uh, Dr. Oleg Kolarov, uh, who has written a great book around uh, vision and vision, vision leadership. In fact, we had some great conversations on a summit that I did, uh, the Game Changers Summit, which we did about two months ago. But we also did a great session on a clubhouse, Todd. Mm. And, uh, and, and honestly, the conversations were just off the chart. Absolutely fantastic. Um, but the other thing that you know, I picked up from that conversation was looking at leadership with a different lens. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard of this saying before, and are there, well, what you're saying to me is what are the different lenses when it comes to visual, you know, visual leadership? Because from what I understand is that you can have like a reverse lens or a forward lens, a side lens or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. But what's, what's your take on this? I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, that's the metaphor of looking at things. Like if I have, you know, we're both wearing glasses, right? If we swapped glasses, we'd probably both have really blurry vision unless we have the exact same prescription, right? So that's a metaphor we could use is that if you don't have the right prescription, you're not going to see clearly, right? So just same, similarly, leaders sometimes need different information or to talk to different things or to see things from other people's point of view. Um, one of my concepts is called flipping the eye. We need to turn that eye on ourselves almost as if a mirror and look internally at our biases and assumptions and belief systems and realize that our lens could be distorted at times, right? We may not see things clearly. And are we seeing things from the perspective of other people with empathy and compassion and understanding, right? A big part of leadership is helping not only to get to, to make your vision a reality, but to help other people make their visions a reality, right? So are we looking at things in the spirit of diversity, inclusion, and belonging with a spirit of empathy and compassion and saying, I see things differently, but what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? What are you noticing? And not only being a good uh, seer, but also being a good listener. So while my focus is on visual leadership, we need to leverage all of our senses, including auditory. There's that expression, VARC, visual, auditory, reading and writing and kinesthetic. We need to be able to see things from mul- using multiple senses and multiple perspectives in order to turn visions into realities. Otherwise, they're just ideas, right? We have all of these big ideas, but how many of them come to fruition and play out in the real world? Many, Most of them don't. Very cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Some very good stuff there. And they're very powerful stuff. And, you know, one thing that really came to my mind when you were speaking 
and we were having some great conversations and, and I've had com great conversations with Marshall Goldsmith as well. Hmm. And there are so many leaders out there that think that they're visionaries, but they're really not. They're just kind of like what I call dictators, <laughs> right? Or maybe it's because they cannot communicate in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way. And then they just get frustrated and then they just go back to the whole kind of like self-sabotaging leadership uh, behaviors. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Yeah, one of the quotes I keep right here on my desk is by Bernard Baruch, who said that the ability to express an idea is as important as the idea itself. If we can express the idea in such a way that other people get it, see it, relate to it, are motivated, inspired by it, then it's a great idea or may or may not be. But so what? Right. And if you think about the word thought leadership, it's two parts. The thought is the idea. The leadership is getting that idea out there into the world. So a lot of people have great thoughts, but are not necessarily great leaders. Right. And there are other people who, have, who are great leaders and are motivational, inspirational. And maybe it's not their original idea, but they help bring it to market or bring it to life or they inspire people. So but to be an effective thought leader, um, you can sit there all day in your room and write out brilliant ideas. But if you don't get them out there into the world, you're not going to change the world. So that's uh, that's you know a few of the concepts behind thought leadership. But I just want to introduce the um, people to uh, the four different ways I talk about of thinking and communicating visually. So the first way is using visual imagery and or drawing. So this is about pictures, right? We all know the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. And it could be a PowerPoint slide. It could be a prop. It could be um, using hand gestures. Anything we could take in through our physical eye is falls into category one. So that's any kind of imagery. Like if I say um, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? You will picture an iceberg in your head. And what does that metaphor represent? It re separates what we see and know versus what we don't. And we all know that 90% of an iceberg is beneath the surface of the water, right? So when you first meet someone, that's just the tip of the iceberg. When you first start watching a movie, the first five minutes are just the tip of the iceberg. It's up to us to dive beneath the surface, to learn more, to know more. Um, so that's the category one is using visual imagery and pictures. Category two is using mental models and frameworks. So this could be a company's organizational chart or a map or a diagram or a, um, a, a mind map or storyboard. So if, we, if you're familiar with like uh, situational leadership or the four box time management matrix, or uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Those are all frameworks. And um, one of my sayings is, um, you know, we all know the expression thinking outside the box, right? But, and it's become a cliche, but you can't think outside the box until you have something inside the box. So if you could create a framework or some kind of structure to put things in, you will see them more clearly. So I'll stop right there. Those are the first two, which are both visible to the physical eye. So that's visual imagery, and models and frameworks. So I'll stop right there, but then I'll give you the other two afterwards. Just want to get your thoughts on those first two. So let's just clarify again. So the first one was visuals, which is what you mentioned. So you mentioned, uh, like imagery. for example, and, and, yeah. imagery and PowerPoints and pictures and that kind of stuff, right? And the other ones you mentioned was, which was like a kind of like mind mapping, uh, framing, that kind of stuff. Is that what you mean? Yeah, any kind of any kind of diagram or or or, or map or anything where you actually but something in some kind of structure or framework. And one of the metaphors, we're going to talk about metaphors next, but one of the metaphors I use is, let's say you need to set a dining room table for it with eight play settings, right? You open up the first drawer and all the silverware is just thrown in there randomly from last time. You never organized it. But you open up the second drawer and everything's in its compartments. Knives, forks, spoons, various sizes. Which one is going to help you set that table faster? It's the one that has the boxes. It's the one with a framework. It's the one where things are in their place. Why? Because you open up that drawer and you can visualize, you can see what you need and what you're going to take out and where you're going to put them as opposed to that mess in the first one. So life and work are messy and complex, but if we could create systems, processes, templates, frameworks, models to put things in, um, that will help us to not only see things more clearly, but to see solutions that maybe we not might otherwise not have seen. And in my book, I go into all of these in detail with, with numerous examples. Would this also include things like graphs as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah. All right, yeah, cool. so data, so, yeah, so data visualization, right? We all have, so if you have an Excel spreadsheet and you just have pages of numbers, what does that mean? But if you give me a chart, a bar graph, a pie chart, or something like that, and I can visualize the percentages or proportions, then you're telling me a story, right? You're providing some context and a framework so I could see what those numbers, because otherwise you just have digits, right? D digits don't mean anything outside of their context and the story that you're trying to tell with them and the message you're trying to deliver. Very cool. Very good. All right. So let's. Uh, so so we've got the first two. What about the second two? And I'd love to know what what what, what those are because you said there were four, right? Yes. Yes. So the first two are visual imagery and mental models. Category three is using metaphor and analogy. So just like the tip of the iceberg, that's an example of it's a visual image, but it's also a metaphor, right? It represents what we see versus what we don't. But we all have we all use metaphors all the time. Um, I use a lot of baseball metaphors because I'm a big baseball fan. But if I'm talking to someone from, say, the UK, I might use a soccer, sorry, football metaphor, right, to uh, to relate to you so you understand what, what's the person saying. So one of the keys to metaphors, a good metaphor will help create clarity. A bit poorly chosen metaphor will create confusion. Because if I use a baseball metaphor and you don't know anything about baseball, then I've lost you, right? I haven't, I haven't gotten the idea across. So I might use a nature analogy. I might say, uh, Adam, I want to plant the seed for an idea. We're going to get to the root of the problem. We're going to branch out in new directions. We're going to see which ones bear fruit. And if we keep doing, if we do this right, the sky's the limit. I just use Nate. I just just use like six different tree-related analogies or metaphors, but you got them, right? You've all, regardless of what what kind of tree you're thinking of, we've all seen a tree. So that that anyone can relate to those metaphors. So that's a key point. Is always think about who your audience is when you choose metaphors that to explain something. And category four is storytelling, using storytelling and humor if and when appropriate. So I've told you a couple of stories already, but when you share a story, it brings things to life. We are just wired, just as humans are wired for visuals, we are also wired for story. So instead of, let's say for a manager, instead of saying to an employee, do this or don't do this, if you say to an employee, let me tell you about the worst mistake I made when I had your job. Don't you think that employees could be on the edge of their seat like wanting to hear that? So a story is so powerful. And one of the things all four of these methods have in common is I talk about three words, attention, comprehension, and retention. And I talk about this in my TED Talk. So it's A-C-R, attention, comprehension, retention. When you use visual imagery or visual language, it gets people to focus. It captures their attention because they're picturing something in their mind's eye. It helps them to understand uh, a comprehension because they're seeing it and not just hearing it. And retention, they're more likely to remember it in the future because they picture it in their head. So when you use visual imagery or visual language, that's the power. So there's a lot of brain science behind this, but in a nutshell, which is a metaphor, by the way, um, that's just a brief explanation of why using Im visual imagery and visual language in combination is so powerful. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Now, you mentioned something just a second ago, which is all about brain science. Now, are you referring to neuroscience or is that completely different? It's related, neuroscience. Like, like there are a couple of scientific principles that people have studied and, and validated. One is called the picture, super, picture superiority effect. That just basically says, if you Google any of these terms, you'll find it. Picture superiority effect says that pictures are superior to text. So if I show you text and I show you an image, you're going to remember the image. You're going to, it'll draw your attention, you'll understand it, and you'll remember it better than that list of bullet points, right? So that's the picture superiority effect, and these have all been proven. And the other one is called dual coding theory, dual is in two, that when you use pictures and text in combination, it's more powerful than either on their own. So real life examples of that, if you went to Amazon to buy something, but there was just the name of the item and the description with no picture, would you buy it? Would you have trust in it? Would you even know what you were talking about, right? If someone linked in with you, but they didn't have a headshot, would you trust that? Who is this person? So it's it, if I have a blog post, you're more likely to read it if there's a visual image than if there's just text. So those are just a few examples of how imagery just draws us in almost magnetically, gets our attention, and again, from there, creates the understanding and, and the recall. So in terms of like leaders that I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of like, you know, our audience right now and they're thinking, okay, this sounds really cool stuff, but could you give us some, maybe some example of leaders that are more what we call visually authentic, you know, that, that they, they present themselves and they're seen as the way that they present their ideas, their leadership in more visually way than they would say traditionally. Are there any, is there any particular examples that maybe of leaders that you could give us? 
Sure. Well, to me, the classic example is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? His I Have a Dream speech, if you've read it, if you've listened to it, if you've watched it, he didn't use PowerPoint slides, right? That didn't exist in those days. Plus, he was outside. Um, but think about his use of language, his use of visual imagery, how he painted. You know, he didn't say, I have a business plan. I have an Excel spreadsheet. I have. He said, I have a dream, right? And a dream is a vision. He had a picture in his mind of a better future, right? For the world, for 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 all. Um, and through his his speech, that classic speech, his he used metaphors, he used alliteration, he used rhyme and rhythm, he used all these rhetorical techniques that just captivated us and got our attention, right? So he would be like to me, and one of my blog posts is called "Why Dr. King is the King of Visual Communication," because just in that one speech, and he did it in all his speeches, he had just a way with words and painting a picture with words that most people don't have. But Steve Jobs is a great example. If you go and Google, just go on YouTube and look up his uh, announcements for the iPhone or the iPad or any of the products, you'll see how he communicated. His slides had only imagery with very little text. He was the show. He did it effectively. He, had, he used demonstration. He used all kinds of visual techniques to, uh, to get their point across, including color. We haven't mentioned color, but color coding, like a traffic signal, red, yellow, green, um, do they use that in the UK, or, or uh, is that? I assume that's global, red, yellow, and green traffic signals. Yes, a, a, a little bit. I, I I'm not that familiar with traffic signals and stuff like that, but I know that the in especially in uh, dealing with learning difficulties, colors plays an important part mm -hmm. of you know communication and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So like in the U.S., across the U.S., wherever you drive, red means stop, yellow means continue, and the light's about to change to red, and green means go, right? So if you know that, that's a color coding system. That's a way of visually communicating behavior, right, what you need to do. Now, what if every city in the country had different color coding system? One, you'd use purple, orange, and pink, right? You wouldn't know what to do. What does pink mean, right? So, so by having using color coding, you know, subway maps, whether it's the London tube or the New York subway system, they use different colors to represent different lines. So you could say to someone, take the red line or take the green line, right? So that's the way of using visuals and colors to communicate ideas. So um, it's all around us if we just start, you know, stop to notice it. But these are just a few examples of um, how communicating visually is so impactful. So, and think about TV commercials and infomercials, for example, right? Would you buy a product? Yeah, they demonstrate it. It dices, it slices, it does all these things, right? They're showing you what it does. What if you were listening to it on the radio would be as effective as seeing it on TV, right? So that's another example of the power of visuals in action. Also, you know, what's really interesting, you mentioned Steve Jobs and you mentioned uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and stuff like that. But the other, the other thing that I wanted to ask you as well is that a lot of these leaders also had autism they also had are dyslexic and stuff like that does that mm. also is that one of the one of the other reasons why visual leadership is also a great tool for those types of leaders which maybe find you know literacy or kind of the english language as such mm. uh, as a way to 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 get their point across if that makes sense yeah, definitely. Uh, when you use visual imagery or visual language or metaphors, it helps to simplify complexity and it helps to turn the invisible into the visible. So yes, if you have a learning disability, if you have trouble reading text, the power of a picture can be game-changing or life-changing, right? A lot of my students, I teach leadership at NYU and Columbia. A lot of my students, especially at NYU, are international students, many of them from China and other countries where English is not their first language. When I use visual slides and use examples that they could see and feel, um, it brings it to life. So, Because a lot of times it helps things get lost in translation. But if you see a picture, you know exactly what we're talking about. So I think, yes, um, a question, a similar question that's often asked is what about people who are sight impaired or blind? Does this apply to them? And my answer is yes. If you use visual language and paint a picture with words, you don't have to see with your physical eye. You could see things in your mind's eye. And, and Shakespeare actually coined the term mind's eye in Hamlet when Hamlet saw the ghost of his father and he said to Horatio, I think I see my father in my mind's eye. He didn't know if it was a figment of his, of his imagination or a real apparition, but he, he used that term mind's eye because he saw it in his head, but he wasn't sure if he saw it with his real eyes. So similarly, if people have sight issues, if you could paint a picture in such a way that they could visualize it in their head, then you've used visual leadership in a way to communicate more effectively. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Some, some really good stuff here. Um, interestingly enough, I know that um, 
I know that you did a TED talk actually uh, a little while ago. And the title of it was, how do you get others to see what you kind of see, like, you know, it, or, or say or whatever it might be. But mm-hmm. going back to the question of visual relate, uh, visual leadership, and I suppose when I think about, um, you know, some of our listeners, which are leaders in their own right, and they want to communicate, whether it be their vision, whether they, uh, their idea, uh, whether it be that they want to uh, change the culture within the business. And I'm sure that you've come across this before. Mm. But for some particular reason, Todd, there's this like what I call disconnection, right? Mm. There's this like, uh, I suppose this this kind of like hesitation of like frustration because then people are just not doing what they want them to do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is there a, do you have advice for for those types of leaders which are, Maybe a, 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 I've tried many different techniques or whatever to try and to get that point across. Is there any advice that you'd have for those leaders, Todd? Yeah, a, a lot. I mean, a lot of, t- you know, what motivates you from where you see, sit in your, you know, on the top of the organizational chart may not motivate the people who are out there in the field and doing the work every day. So a lot of times there's a big gap there. There's a lack of com- connection. So first of all, leaders need to not only see things from multiple perspectives, but they need to be better listeners. When we do 360s, um, listening tends to be the category in which leaders score themselves the highest, but their people score them the lowest. So I always say the biggest gap is between the ears, right? A lot. So listeners need to not only see things from their people's perspective, but actually be a, be better listeners. What are people worried about? What are they concerned about? And this comes up, you know, right now when the this topics is the whole issue of hybrid work, right? Post pandemic, some leaders are saying, "All right, starting Monday, everyone back in the office." And a lot of people are saying, "I've been working from home for two years. I have no interest in going back." Uh, a friend of mine commute, was commuting two hours each way to New York City from Long Island four hours a day, missing his kids, you know, sports games and whatever. It's like, what, you know, why should I sit on a train for four hours if I could go to my computer in four minutes, right, and log in? So that's one of the challenges. A lot of leaders are basically, there's some, a lot of conflict now. Some leaders want to turn the calendar back to 2019 and protect, pretend this whole thing never happened. That's not the reality. So leaders need to see things from the point of view you know, if you're a leader and you live in, a, in New York City in a skyrise, you know, uh, apartment and you have a, a chauffeur driving you to work, you may be thinking, oh, what's the big deal about coming into the office? Yet the person who has to commute two hours, it is a big deal, right? So we need to see things with empathy and compassion and from other perspectives and say, whatever policies we create or, um, you know, we need to do this with with our, our people in mind. And a lot of leaders communicate around numbers a lot, right? Delivering state of the union company addresses or whatever. And they bore people to death with statistics and numbers that are either too abstract or or meaningless to them, right? So what's the story you're trying to tell? People are motivated by a vision. They're not motivated by a, you know, 3.1 increase in your, you know, in your cash flow statement, right? So unless they see it in their check the next week. So these are just a few things that leaders need to think about is what are people picturing? What is their vision? What are their hopes and dreams? And how does you know the company mission and vision align with that? Too many leaders lose sight of that. You know, I think you're bang on the buck, if I'm honest with you, with what you're saying. And I'd love to talk a little bit about the hybrid way of working because that is the way the world is going right now. And I'd love to know more about how you think uh, leaders are going to adapt to that new style of leadership because that is a completely uh, different way of working. It is a completely new way of working. But how do you think visual leadership and also new styles of leadership will, should we say, uh, evolve, uh, you know, as part of kind of the new world, as I like to call it? Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so one, you know, one of the traditional management leadership approaches is MBWA, managing by walking around, right? In the old days, a, a leader would get up from his desk, walk around the office and stop by and say to someone, hey, you know, Adam, how's your day going? Oh, you're struggling? Here, pop into my office. Let's chat for a minute. How do you do that if Adam's working from home, right? It's so easy to be out of sight, out of mind, right? So as a leader, unless you put in some kind of systems and processes in place to 
develop those relationships, to onboard people properly, to create a culture of, of collaboration and community, even when you have that mix of some people in the office. You know, if you're in the office on Tuesday, Thursday, and I'm in the office on Monday, Wednesday, we're never going to see each other. And yet we're working for the same company and may, we may be colleagues. So how do we align that? How do we coordinate? How do we collaborate? How do you create teams? Right. So those are some of the issues that leaders really need to figure out. And one way to do that is to do visioning exercise and actually picture what is an ideal situation? How are we going to make this work? What what frameworks are we going to use? Um, you know, how are we going to how are we going to you know synergize when we're not physically in the same place? There's the issue of proximity bias. Are people who come to the office going to get preferential treatment over people who work from home because you're seen more, right? You're more visible. I was talking about three V's: visibility, voice, and value. Visibility is about being seen, voice is about being heard, and value is about making a contribution. How could you, even if you work from home, increase your visibility, voice, and value in a way that people at the office are doing so that you don't lose out to promotions or, or delegation of projects or whatever? So these are just a few thoughts that I'm, in my management leadership training and coaching, these are the things that my clients are wrestling with right now. You know what's really interesting? And, and, and do you know what you, do you know, it's like music to my ears. And I've been talking about and harping on about the three C's, which is all about connection, collaboration, and community, right? So I've been talking mm -hmm. about that for the last six months. I've been harping on about it. And like, you know, guys, I've not been talking crap, by the way. Todd's just rectified, just given us gratification that I am actually <laughs> talking some sense. So I just wanted to let you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to um, say off the back of that, actually, which was there was something that really uh, hit me that as you were talking. And interestingly enough, and, and, and it's just, and, and I've just lost it. And I, I hate that one, but it's going <laughs> to, it's going to come to me in a second Well, you know, when you have those, when you have those ideas, those aha moments, and then suddenly it's like, damn it, I just missed the train and it's going to come back any second of that. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it, it that's, a, back that's a metaphor, by the way, missing the train. So we use, I, I always call out metaphors when people use them, when we're talking about it, just because a lot of times people don't even realize they just used one because it's just part of our everyday language, right? So I just wanted to highlight those are the kinds of things we say all the time. So that's what I say about people who want to turn the clock back to 2019. I say, you know, using metaphors, the trains left the station. The toothpaste is out of the tube and the genie's out of the bottle. We're not putting anything back. We're not going backwards. So if you once you accept that reality, how do we move forward together? Right? How do you onboard new Love people? It. I know people have changed companies three times over the last two years and they haven't put pants on or left their living room, right? So they just basically, <laughs> you know, you're working from home, you're just logging into a different company website, right? So what does that mean in terms of onboarding people to your culture and reminding them of where they work? And because if it's so easy for someone to just change change jobs, think about retention issues that HR people and leaders are dealing with having to replace someone because, you know, how do you compete? It's not just salary, it's lifestyle, it's it's work-life integration. It's not even work-life balance. There's no balance anymore. But how do we integrate our personal life and our professional life in such a way? Because some people may have child issues or parent care issues, or maybe they just got a new pet during the pandemic. Everyone's wrestling with different things. How do you accommodate people and keep them happy and satisfied and engaged? You know, employee engagement is one of the key things. How do you keep people engaged um, within the chaos and, and the confusion? Um, VUCA, if ever, most people know the analogy, the acronym VUCA. The world is more VUCA than ever, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, right? In this hyper VUCA world we're living in, how do we navigate this? How do leaders deal with this, uh, this chaos and confusion? Love it. You know, the other thing that, that and I wrote it down this time because it came back to me as you were talking. Great. So, <laughs> so one thing that, one thing that I love to speak about actually, and we had a good conversation with our good friend, Chester Elton, who's a, mm. as, as is a four times New York Times bestselling author for you guys that don't know who Chester is. But one of the things that really come to my mind is, using this hybrid way of style this hybrid way of leadership right because it is a hybrid way of leadership hybrid way of style but how does it that then you can incorporate the importance of praise and appreciation to employees when they were using this hybrid way of style how is it different from this kind of like office corporate kind of environment how do you you know use that without it because effectively you know you know being on a computer it, it provides a barrier right but then 
again, what do leaders need to do in order to continue being good leaders, showing appreciation, showing appreciation to their employees and their team or whatever it is? Any thoughts there? I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Sure, sure. My friend Chester Elton is a fellow member of the MG, Marshall Goldsmith MG100, and uh, he's the, known as the guru of gratitude. He has written more um, uh, on, on gratitude than, than a lot of people. I always talk about four, Gs, four Gs. Um, be genuine. So you need to be genuine, authentic, and sincere. Be generous. Look at things from other people's point of view. Be giving. Be grateful. And I got that from Chester. And have and do it all with grace, which my friend John Baldoni wrote a book that's right behind me called Grace. So if you lead with genuine, you know, genuineness, generosity, gratitude, and grace, that's going to go a long way. So people want to have leaders who are human, right? People who are human and humane. Uh, I teach in the HR master's program at NYU. We always talk about how do you put the humanity back into human resources and not treat people as if they're resources, but as um, as uh, you know, the, the the centerpiece of our company, right? The, the people who get things done. And you always talk about you know increasing productivity and performance, right? You get that from people who feel appreciated and recognized, and and when leaders are grateful for their contributions. So I think that's a big part. It doesn't matter whether you're in your in the office or people working from home globally. You still need to connect with people, develop relationships, make people feel valued and validated. Um, and recognize there's a concept called the uh, progress principle. People want to get things done, but they also want to be recognized for that progress that they make. So these are all things that leaders need to think about is how do I do this virtually? How do I do all these things that need to be done? Inspiring vision, getting people in alignment, rowing in the same direction, um, achieving goals, uh, feeling um, valued. But you, have, you just have to do it virtually, right? So you need to form a leadership. You can't do it all on your own either. You need to create leadership at every level from the bottom up. That's another key thing too. As a leader, it's not all about you. It's about your people. But you want to make everyone feel uh, as if they are a leader in some way. Even if you're not leading people, you are still a leader within this organization. And if people feel that way, they're going to feel a sense of ownership and accountability. Very cool, very cool. You know, there was one thing that came to my mind when you were speaking now obviously you're a, a professor and a lecturer at nyu and also at columbia and mm -hmm. obviously uh, the average age uh, which are going to be kind of what i call millennials in their early 20s typically students mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff now over the last couple of years which has been an interesting way but a, a way a way of working how has your agenda for teaching leadership changed now over the last couple of years where we, we you know leadership leadership is going to evolve some quite a lot i would have thought but how do you see the new leaders of the people that you're teaching today that are going to maybe go into roles or responsibilities whether it be senior management whether it be opening their own business or whatever it is mm. how do you see the way that they are changing in terms of their opinions and their styles of leadership compared to maybe the past generations yeah, that's a great point. My, I teach in two graduate programs, so the students are tend to be in like mid-20s to 30s and even 40. A lot of people go back to school to get their master's, so a lot of my students are in that age range. Um, I think the key difference between now and the past is the idea of leadership from the bottom up, leadership at every level. Um, I once went to a leadership conference where half the people thought leadership is only capital L leadership. You're only a leader if you're a CEO or vice president or if you have a leadership title. And then there was the small L leadership camp that I was in is that everyone is the leader even if you're just leading your own life, right? I talk about four N's. Anyone, anywhere can lead about anything at any time, right? So it doesn't matter what you do, where you do it. If you step up to leadership, and fill a leadership void or, or start a movement or, or create followership or those are all acts of leadership and you don't need a title to do it and you don't need someone to anoint you or appoint you as a leader. You could just raise your hand and do it. So I think that's a big part of it is that's the biggest difference is some people say, oh, I'm going to start leading when I'm promoted into a leadership position. But to me, you get that leadership role by acting as a leader. So I think leadership development has to happen. A lot of times people use the phrase democratizing leadership. Leadership needs to happen at every level. And we also, in the sphere of diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, we need to develop people, um, leadership of all types from every constituency, you know, like, you know, diversity of thought, gender, race, culture across the board, right? So a lot of times leaders hire people who look 
and are just like them, right? And that's not a way to get diverse diversity in terms of leadership. So to get more leadership and people of color into, into leadership roles, we need to start as early and as soon as possible and create a level playing field where everyone gets an opportunity to demonstrate their leadership. I love this conversation. Seriously, huh. this is a fantastic conversation, guys. I don't know about, but it, it, honestly, I could talk for hours, but I know that we're, I'm conscious of time, but I, there's a one particular question that has jumped out at me like, like there's no tomorrow, which is what I'm finding, especially with uh, having conversations with clients, and it may be the same for you, by the way, Todd, um, where we've got the new, what I call the, the new, P, uh, the new uh, millennials and where you, you would have seen this in the media where they talk about the great resonation or they talk a little bit about where the younger generation have now seen their parents work for 40, 50 years of their careers, right? And they don't want what their parents want, right? Mm -hmm. then they're like, I don't want that. I don't want to work my ass off for 40, 50 years for me to be miserable and have a fairly good pension, right? Yeah. Um, whereas... Now what we're finding is that leaders are really struggling to attract the right types of people into the organization, like younger, fresher blood, younger, fresher minds. And, you know, even though there's a massive pool of talent out there, how can leaders stand out from really attracting the, uh, the creme de la crop when it comes to uh, recruitment and talent management? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a challenging question, but a great one. Um, there's a saying in the training business that companies say, what if we train our people and they leave? And the flip side is, what if we don't train them and they stay, right? So a lot of leaders, what you need to do is you invest in your people, but then create a culture and a climate and environment that gets them to want to stay because they see a, a path forward. They see opportunities to be innovative and they have a company uh, investing in them and they see a, a path to leadership. Um, Right. So if you're going to train people, but they leave, whose fault is it that they're leaving? Right. It's kind of like professors who say, how do I get my students attention? Because they're on their phones or not paying attention to what I'm saying. I'm like, whose fault is that? Right. If you're not engaging them and holding their attention, it's your fault. It's not theirs. You're just boring them to death. Similarly, within organizations, if people are leaving, that's telling you something. So you need to create a culture and climate that gets people to want to stay while still investing in them. One of the chapters in my book, poses the question using the metaphor, what is your leadership weather report? Are you a cloud of doom and gloom or a ray of sunshine who lights up the room even on Zoom? And I added the Zoom part during the pandemic. But as a leader, are you the type of leader who when you walk into a room, either physically or, or, or even online, where people cower and, and put their heads down, say, all right, the boss is here. Or are you the kind of leader who lights up the room and people get energized and inspired by your presence, right? You want to be the sunshine leader, not the cloud of doom and gloom and the thunder and lightning kind of leader, right? So you can't control the weather outside, but as a leader, you could control the climate within your organization or within your team. So that's some of the thing, you know, that's one of the metaphors I use to get people to think about how am I being perceived and what's my impact on people? Love it, love it, love it. You know, one of the things that came to my mind was Al, the soul-sucking CEO, which Gary Ridge came up with. Uh, and he's the CEO of the WD-40. He's a good friend of ours, of course, and a part mm. of the Marshall Goldsmith circle and stuff. And yeah. that was, to me, a great metaphor as well, right? I'm sure that we've all had soul-sucking CEOs in our yeah. lives. Yeah. Um, but just don't yeah. be those guys. We, 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 yeah. We're not those. We, 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 that's why we listen to the podcast anyway. It's all good. But yeah. um, <laughs> love it, love it, love it. So listen, I know we're coming towards the end of our, uh, our show, and we've had Honestly, we've covered so much groundwork. I'm, I'm <laughs> so impressed. But listen, love to know what you're working on right now because I feel like, you know, I, get, I feel like, you know, you, you've done TED Talks. You, you know, you're an author, you're a professor, you're a lecturer. You've got so much happening in your world. What is next for you, Todd? I mean, what, what, is, what does the future hold for you? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, again, um, my book is just now, it was published two years ago. So it's just now kind of, um, in a good to great, Jim Collins talks about the flywheel effect. It takes a lot of energy to get that wheel turning, but once it does, it kind of picks up a momentum on its own. That's kind of what's happening with visual leadership. It started out slow, you know, friends and family, and little by little, then I became a member of Marshall Goldsmith's NG100, and then I got the Thinkers 50 nomination, and little by little, the concept of visual leadership is taking, taking off, because it's really resonating with people. It's kind of a, a new way of looking at leadership, because there's a million leadership books out there, but the idea of using visuals, it's fun, it's creative, 
creative. It's it's uh you know it's, it allows people to put their own spin on things. Like um like for you, you're an elite. You're you're a runner, right? You're an elite runner, uh, right? So I might the real life story. One of my clients was struggling. He got feedback that his presentations were really dry and boring. And he felt like he wasn't communicating. And I said, well, what's something that you're interested in? He said, well, I just ran the New York City Marathon. And he, it was my best time ever. And the, the feeling of crossing the finish line. He went from this boring guy to like this animated, exciting, inspirational guy. He made me want to run the marathon, right? So I said, that's, that's the passion you need to put into your presentations. So that's the thing. He was a passionate, excited person about running, but not about his job. And that was coming through. So I said, you need to find that passion in what you do. Because how could you find, expect other people to get excited if you're not excited? So I found running, you know, he, once I found out that running was his passion, we used that as the metaphor for, you know, to help him get on board and, and improve in his role. So similarly, like if I know that you're a runner, we may talk about, you know, what is it about running and that energy and, you know, who you are and how you are as a runner? How does that translate into who you are as a business person in terms of your coaching and your, your, your the business you're in? So that's what I would say is find that's what I'm doing. It's connecting with people and seeing, all right, what's the visual aspect of your work and your life and how do you integrate them? How do you integrate your passions with your purpose, right? And, and make that come to life. So the centerpiece of my work, you know, so again, my teaching, I love my teaching and, and the book is spreading, but in terms of work, I'm helping people navigate this new world, this post pandemic world of chaos and confusion. And a lot of people just need a sounding board or someone to help them make sense of this new reality that we're all living in right now. So, um, you know, the world's in a lot of upheaval, a lot of stress, a lot of pain, and and people are, you know, really anxious and burnt out. So that's a big part of my work right now is helping people to uh, to figure out how to navigate this this new world we're living in. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Some very cool stuff. So uh, just hold up your book one one more time. How sure. how can people get hold of it? Sure, uh, anywhere, Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Uh, it's Visual Leadership with one shared L. And uh, just check out my website, toddchurches.com. It's C-H-E-R, as it says on the uh, on the screen. And uh, you can find my TED Talk there and more about my visual leadership approach. And uh, feel free to link in with me. Just say you saw me on Adam's show and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll continue the conversation there. Love it, love it, love it. So for you guys that are listening in, whether you're listening to us live or whether you listen to the recording of this, um, if you're interested in connecting with Todd, please do so. And you can click on the links below. Uh, and uh, probably the best way to connect with Todd is uh, you've got LinkedIn, you've got his book and so forth. But do check them out. Todd, I just want to say thanks very much for being on today's show. I really appreciate some great conversations. And I've made tons of notes. So thanks very much. I'm a student of learning myself. So appreciate your time today. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. So, guys, thanks very much, and thanks very much for listening to the show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again back here again on the Game Changers Experience. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Hey, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Game Changers Experience. I would be gratefully appreciated if you could leave a good or a bad review. It doesn't matter, one or a five-star review, whichever you prefer, on any of the platforms, whether it be on Apple, whether it be on Spotify, Podchaser, etc., and please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changer Experience. Take care. See you soon, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changer Experience. Take care. See you soon.